0: Before we begin, we want to acknowledge that ONN's office is located in unceded territories of the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Nishnabe, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat peoples. We know that uh, Toronto is diverse to many First Nations, Inuit, and Métis communities, documented and undocumented. And for all of your listener, all of the listeners, those of you who identify as settlers, um, there's a really great resource called native land.ca that's n-a-t-i-v-e dash land l-a-n-d dot c-a uh, where you can find out whose land that you're on and um, not only for the purposes of acknowledging but building relationships and practices of solidarity so make sure to check that resource out
1: Welcome to Digging In with ONN, we are your hosts Kavita and Yemi. This is a podcast that discusses public policy and systems change with a focus on decent work. We use an intersectional lens that centres learning around truth and reconciliation, racial justice and equity practices. This week we're super excited to have Ingrid join us from Toronto Neighbourhood Centres Ingrid, could you please take a moment to introduce yourself and your role at TNC?
2: Sure, my name is Ingrid Palmer. I am the Director of Networks and Relationships at Toronto Neighbourhood Centres, and I I work alongside um, Sri and Rob, who are the uh, Associate and Executive Directors, both. Really happy to be here today. Uh
0: And Ingrid, we're so excited. I know that TMC, uh, the Neighborhood Center, is one of the partners of the Decent Work Project that we're currently um, embarking on for the next couple of years, this iteration, um, and that the areas of engagement uh, with the nonprofit sector in, in embedding decent work practices um, is just so foundationally strong. And Ingrid Part of uh, your role um, at TNC ha- and the work that Toronto Neighborhood Centers has been doing around decent work has been taking um, the Charter of Belonging that was developed by equity-seeking affinity groups, and maybe you can speak to what those are, and engaging in practices and and work more broadly over the last year. So. Um, as a point of departure, could you talk a bit about the the work that TMC is doing with equity seeking groups within your network?
2: We do have a uh, TNC does have an, an anti-oppression charter um, that was developed in conjunction with um, a number of our affinity groups, which we have several, uh, some that are um, based on on our job roles and titles, and then others on how uh, people identify. So we have um, a BIPOC affinity group. Uh, we have a disability justice affinity group, um, and so uh, these groups enable our staff to come together and connect um both along the lines of the the work they do for instance uh, maybe the youth workers affinity group or the volunteer coordinators affinity group or the hr <laughs> affinity group and and come together and and have an opportunity uh to puzzle or grapple with um whatever issues um they might be dealing with um within their their jobs um, and in terms of other groups like the BIPOC affinity group, um, that would be more along the lines of of the identities that we carry and how that can affect you uh, in the work that you do. Um, so when it comes to the Charter, um, we have been involved in um, a lot of work over the past year throughout our agency, um, looking at Uh, all our work through an intersectional lens uh, which is really Mm -hmm. necessary um, because it helps us to uh, be able to see how uh, power affects uh, different groups and allows us to be cognizant of how uh, people can be subjected to multiple systems of oppression that intersect, overlay, and that interact with one another, resulting in a variety of ways that a person, you know, including the communities that we support and our, our membership, um, that they can experience uh, discrimination and that these various forms cannot be separated from one another, um, that they are constantly in play and that persons carrying those intersections um, carry that weight uh, wherever they go into whatever situation they are in and whatever spaces that they are occupying. And so to build uh, knowledge and capacity around understanding that each one of us Um, has our own unique experiences um, connected to the identities that we carry. And that for some of us, um, that can be empowering. And that for others, um, that it brings about um, disadvantage and uh, barriers and adversity um, that have to be dealt with. Um, So Mm -hmm. in our work, A large part of our efforts over the last year have involved um, targeted training and knowledge sharing opportunities to empower our members and build capacity to negotiate and dismantle Uh, The often subtle, but no less hurtful nuances Mm -hmm. um, of every form of oppression that, you know, that still continues to permeate um, our work lives, our social lives, the systems Mm -hmm. that we have to interact with and our relationships, um, both at work um, and like at work within between our our colleagues, um, you Mm -hmm. know, and also with the communities that we are that we are supporting, and so we have had uh, dismantling white supremacy uh, training throughout our organization, um, and we're actually mm-hmm. getting ready to have the next um, uh, follow up training to that. But our initial dismantling white supremacy training led to a dedicated community of practice space uh, for those mm. individuals who are really ready to, to dig into the work. And, and that's been a part of the the things that we're trying to puzzle out at, at TNC is knowing that, that we all fall on different spectrums um, of this work and, and need to be supported in different ways. That there are those of us who, you know, we got it, we're ready, we want to... Go deep. We want to get into the actual dismantling. And that's where the community of practice comes into place. And then we have others who are, I'm, I'm getting there. I need more information. I need some more support. Yeah. And we have yeah. others who are like, uh-huh. I don't understand why we need to do this.
0: And others in terms of community members within the network.
2: All, oh, both community members yeah. and staff. Right. And so then the question is, how do we support everybody where they're at? And bring this world yep. along without getting stuck in thinking about how to do it without doing anything, which is what happens so often is that we get stuck in the, you know, the figuring out what we should do that we don't actually do anything. You know, and so part of what, you know, I came into at TNC and what I have contributed to is to say, let's do something. Let's figure it out mm-hmm. on the way of doing something. Um, otherwise, we'll we'll sit forever and do doing nothing at all. Um, and so, we've also done uh, a lot of work around uh, supporting our rainbow affinity group. Um, which mm-hmm. is our group um, dedicated to those who identify um, with the 2S LGBTQIA plus community. And they have um, over the last year uh, put on uh, two engaging uh, opportunities for both frontline and senior level staff separately to unpack um, harm um, that mm-hmm. has been experienced mm-hmm. and also to increase Competencies in regards to um you know supporting, um identifying staff and community members, um, and we've also uh, begun some work around um truth and reconciliation. Um, we had a um a, a reading club that was reading. I think it's called Braiding Sweetgrass on how to, and also been looking at how to incorporate, you know, indignity into our work, into our practices and relationships. And we're able to um, engage in a Tackling um, Acknowledgements workshop um, led by um, Indigenous uh, leaders, which was really powerful. And that has really helped us to work on, you know, improving our relationships. We've also um, initiated a BIPOC mentorship and leadership um, mm-hmm. initiative to support our staff um, who, who identify um, with this group to be uh, mentored and supported and to have their cap- capacity nurtured because we know from research that BIPOC leaders don't get the same support mentorship um, that, that white leaders do. Um, you're, they've kind of been left to figure things out um, on their own, and it it's just highlights another way that no matter that what area that 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 BIPOC people are always being um, disadvantaged, are always having uh, a harder fight, are not receiving the same support. Um, there's no area really that's left untouched, and so at TNC we thought it was really important. Um, for our bipoc staff to have specifically catered mentorship learning opportunities and a space to be able to unpack um, any you know of those emotions um, that can can build up you know um, during your work that we have to experience those microaggressions, those little nuances of anti-black uh, anti-indigenous or you know other forms of mm-hmm. racism. That we have to deal with, because uh, we have a tendency, um, as uh, marginalized communities, to push our feelings down because we have to focus on getting through, right? Like, yeah. uh, like we have that yeah. tendency to yes. do that, and those feelings don't go away. They they no. pile up. They're inside, and and we need to provide um, outlets and supports for our staff to unpack those emotions, to unpack those experiences, um, in in a group of peers where they can feel safe to do so. And where, you know, you know, whenever you're with your peers, um, you take away that that need for explanation. <laughs> Everybody gets yeah. it so you can just, you know, get yes. into the, the work and support each other. And as well, we've just recently initiated our Disability Justice Affinity Group um, to mm. explore the impacts and nuances of ableism and provide a space there also for identifying staff and allies um, to express their feelings and their experiences and and to unpack um what they're dealing with we know that many um people with disabilities don't disclose their disabilities right Mm -hmm. Um, for for many reasons Um, one of them being um, I'm fear of of how you are perceived on your job because if you mess up something, you know it could be like oh everybody you know has a bad day or something happens. But if you're known to have a disability, then it becomes oh, it's because of your disability. You know, it, it, everything right, becomes right. A, everything becomes attached to your disability when. Um, it's known that you have one.
1: It's just human nature to make mistakes. We're not robots. <laughs> it is,
2: exactly. It's something that happens to everyone. But if there if, if there could be another reason to attribute it to, uh, you know, that, that happens a lot to, to folks who are more marginalized for different reasons. So um, it's really exciting to have this new group launched and that will be really playing a vital role in um, disrupting um, ableism and, and through um, our network and our centers. I'm paying paying in the work to do that and really helping to lead and guide um, that process because uh, we know that those affected um, have to be on the front of of the work of any type of uh, dismantling work um, that we're doing. And so um, we really want and need a a disability justice lens uh, to be on this work and to really be um, looking at what that work should be considering, what it looks like.
0: Now, Ingrid. Yep. Sorry to interrupt. I had a question. So you've talked about disability justice, and I know that there's a strong focus on that as one of the affinity groups. So uh, disability justice was a term that was coined um, by Patty uh, Byrne, Mia Mingus, and Stacey Milburn um in 2005 at one of the sins invalid uh sessions or conferences rather i should say and so i'm i'm curious about if you can actually if we could slow down a bit and if we could break down like what is disability justice um and how are you like you've talked a bit about how you're framing it um at uh, the toronto uh neighborhood centers but uh, maybe if we could just start off with a dis- definition of what disability justice is
2: Disability justice uh, focuses on all persons um, with disabilities centering those who uh, were left out of the disability rights movement and are Mm. still um, ignored um, in a lot of ways and in silence. So thinking about the oppression of disability and how it intersects with race um how mm-hmm. it intersects with immigration status, with socioeconomics, um thinking about folks who identify um as having a disability but also as being queer or trans or non-binary um and also um individuals who are incarcerated or without mm-hmm. housing. So it takes a much broader um look at at who um are persons with disabilities and what are the other identities that they, they carry? Because uh, for many people, it's not just about disability. And like I spoke about earlier, when we're talking about intersectionality, um, uh, uh, folks have to navigate multiple layers of oppression that are present all the time. And, and when you have one to navigate with, that's hard enough. Uh, when you have mm-hmm. multiple, um, it's, it's just even even heavier and weightier.
1: It's compounded, right? Based on the different intersections that you identify
2: with. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's not something, sometimes people think of it as, oh, okay, in one situation you have to deal with this, and then you have maybe have to deal with the other. No, it's all the time. It's juggling those all the time Mm -hmm. in every situation. Maybe not knowing which one is going to be weighted heavier, um, Mm -hmm. you know, because some are. But they're 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 always all there, right? And and having to juggle and navigate um, racism and sexism and homophobia, (laughs) you know, and and the fact that you know maybe you're 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 from a lower socioeconomic you know location you know that that's a lot to have to deal with and uh, and that's not um you know taking away from someone who who um only has to deal with one but that is taking into consideration that hasn't been before that other people have have, have a lot more um to deal with and are feeling facing a lot more um oppression but um disability justice also concerns um other systems um, you know that goes beyond rights and and um, and an equality based approach. So it, it moves mm. beyond you know just access and inclusion um, in unjust systems, um, and instead is working also towards you know a collaborative uh, move towards transforming society um, as a whole. Yes. Um, because yes. yeah, that that needs to. <laughs> That needs that needs to happen, and and without that taking place, um, you know the, the the movement just won't be um, as progressive. Now, to me, there's a lot of debate on you know disability rights versus disability justice, and to yes, me, there to me, it, it's <laughs> not about um, replacing one. Um, Mm -hmm. over the other to me, it's like it's the next iteration, it's the next evolution in the journey towards justice. And there will, there will come another movement that will replace disability justice right now because, because there's gaps that are are being missed right now that the next movement is going to, you know, um, address address, exactly. And so, um, and disability justice also to me incorporates the ideal that our worth is not tied to our body's performance say it and again say it again Ingrid. <laughs> say it again i need oh you God. to say it again our worth is not tied to our bodily functions <laughs> and you know that is something that took me some time to really untether myself because that messaging from society is so strong it is yes. so so strong and it, it took me a long time to really like Cut that rope, say nope. This has nothing to do uh with my disability and that recognition that it's the attitudes, it's the landscape, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's everything else that is 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 you know is is limiting me and and limiting what I can do. Um and so, you know, primarily it's these attitudes that we really have to take a hold of. Cause like even in um when I when I talk about racism, I'm like, you know what? Uh, it, it could be gone. You know, we can have the best policies on place and, yeah. and programs and whatever, but if the attitudes don't change, it's all for naught, yeah. right? Because if the people implementing who are responsible mm-hmm. for supporting this, uh, for rolling it out, you know, are, are ha- don't have a change of mind and heart, um, you know, these perfectly written policies and programs are, are going to come to nothing. And we've seen that over okay. and over again so it's it's imperative that we that we have a transformation of mind of attitude of thought and you know of on and perspective on the disability community and what our capacity really is
1: for sure um and Ingrid, could you explain for our listeners you know if you can take a moment to explain what affinity groups are, but then also. Uh, Give us some examples of how you've been weaving disability justice into the work that you've been doing with TNC, and how does it move beyond how we understand accessibility within nonprofit structures? So often you hear folks refer to AOTA, which is the Accessibility for Ontarians with Disabilities Act, you know, and are things AOTA compliant? You know, that's sort of the terminology that you hear, but. You know, how are you, how are we to understand it beyond that sort of structure and move beyond doing the work just to be compliant with the Act?
2: Okay, so an affinity group um, is a group created for um, persons to come together um, who have something in common. So at TNC, we have affinity groups that are formed along job descriptions. So we have some, we have an HR affinity group, we have a volunteer coordinator affinity group, a youth worker affinity group, program directors, civic engagement. So staff can come together based on those descriptors, you know, that you, you have in common. Um, mm-hmm. So it can be about the work that you're going to come together and you can speak together. Um knowledge share, uh share about best practices, talk about challenges that you're facing in the work and, and ask for um advice, solutions, support, um, maybe collaborate. And then we have other affinity groups that are are based more along the lines of how you identify. So we have a BIPOC affinity group. Um for our Black, Indigenous, you know, persons of colour um, staff mm-hmm. who identify as such. And we have um, a disability justice affinity group for those staff who identify as having a disability. And, and those groups determine what you're gonna use that space for. Uh, it, it's for those groups by those groups. So if you wanna use that space just to debrief, because, um, you know, everybody needs, to kind of do that in a community of people who, who get it, who understand mm-hmm. that, or if you want to collaborate on initiatives or perhaps you might wanna do some learning together. Um, so the real point of these groups is that they are for um, those individuals who choose to join those groups and they determine how they will be used, what they will be used for. And then TNC, we support that. So we're there right. to support um, and to, you know, take notes of what you said you wanted, maybe help to facilitate um, and and bring about uh, what was discussed in those groups. So we're there as, as a support element, but those spaces mm-hmm. are to be directed uh, by those groups, right? And then we help support right. that, right?
1: Thanks for that. Uh, yeah, thank you for explaining. <laughs>
2: So when I think about uh, my role uh, at TNC and, and what I have been engaging in, um, I think about also the consideration of, of persons with disabilities um, mm. and, and how we've been perceived, um, you know, in the medical field, socially, uh, often as, you know, walking examples of a condition. At least that—that's yeah. definitely how I've felt a lot of times, and mm-hmm. um, and I have been in my role really challenging that dominant narrative of disability as um, incompetent or unable, um, because our potentials, our contributions, you know, have largely gone unaccessed. We have the most unemployment rate out of um, you know any group. And so in my role, it's been really important for me um, to be a representation of our social capital Mm -hmm. Um, and and to be, um, you know, to really take on that leadership role. Um, I I feel like, uh, you know, in my job that I, you know, I lead, I direct, I teach, I model accessibility and consideration uh, of others' um, Mm -hmm. needs in in meetings. Um, You know, I am patient. I am open to new ideals and ways of doing things, which are, are, you know, characteristics that, you know, persons with disabilities um, are often denied on the job. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I think it's really important um, in my role and through my work to model these accessibilities and how they are beneficial to everyone. Because um, the thing with disability is that everything that accommodates us accommodates everybody. No one yes. is ever left out. When you make way mm. and pathways mm-hmm. for our community, everyone benefits. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So um, I, I think it's, it's really important for me to have weaved that through my work, but to be, like, to be sure that I am taking up space.
0: Yes, like it's, I, yes. I think
2: that's really really important yes. that i occupy yes. space that i use my voice that i make decisions that i participate in that and that i amplify perspectives you know within our community and the diversity within our community because we we were another community that often gets um you know treated as a mono, monolith that like we all think the same way or have the same needs or right. and and that is absolutely um, not true. And I think that's really important to bring that out and up in discussions where it wouldn't be heard. And yeah. even when it can seem irrelevant. <laughs>
1: <laughs> just to reinforce the point, right? Yeah.
2: It is relevant. And it's just that people aren't used to incorporating that type of thinking, um, you know, into a lot of the work we do. And so the more that that I do that, the more that it will you know, it will become um, I hate this word, but I'm sorry. Normalize. I can't think of another word right airports. now. But the
0: airports normalized. Yeah. Yes. So
2: that the, the more that because it will be seen because it our perspectives, our voices and our input is sorely needed. Um, yeah. in, in in everything. And it's and, missing. And it is missing. And this is where, you know, we're really tired of being add-ons that, oh, head stop. Oh, we forgot. Let's try and fix that now. We're, we're tired okay. of that. We want right. universal thinking, design, consideration to be embedded in everything. Yeah. You know, Absolutely. so that, that we don't have to do that. And so it's really important for me to model through my work that being visually impaired um, is, is not what limits me. That I have mm-hmm. capacity, mm-hmm. that I can do things, and that it's, it's ableism, and it's this attitude um, and the slow expectation um from society and from others that is the true um limiter um of our um community, so I think um you know the biggest thing I do is is i i try to to model our capacity and to bring those perspectives into um every area um of the work that i do and I love that
0: you um Uh, I love that you talk about modeling and it's not like what I'm hearing from you is it's not about necessarily perfection, you know, um, in modeling it, but putting that effort forward to be like, am I looking at or existing within my world from a lens that is considering disability and ableism? And um, I know You know, for, you know, Ingrid, you know, um, in working with you, there's different ways in which, like, I've also learned for folks who, for example, are visually impaired um, that um, or folks that are not seeing that there's different ways that like everyone's an individual. How Ingrid does it is going to be different than how someone else does it. And so how do we also listen to our communities and what they and I love that you're like, I model it and it's not prescriptive. Um, and because, you know, I think about as someone who has an invisible disability, there's often also a, um, there needs to be recognition of learning disabilities and how they show up in the workplace, um, you know, versus folks who may not have a learning disability or may not have an invisible disability. Even the word invisible, I think we need to rethink Yes, overall, it kind of still leans to an
2: ableist lens of, of, of being I just wanted to add sorry I just really wanted to add though that what we really need to do is to just move into consideration period like you don't even have to know that someone has an invisible disability or that Mm -hmm. I have for some of us it's it's just obvious we don't have to tell you right people see my white cane Mm -hmm. that's it they just know but if we could just Mm -hmm. learn to be more considerate because everybody has needs disabled non-disabled everybody does and we just need to learn to be considerate one another and not to be as you said prescriptive or have this one way or right way of doing things that it has to be the this way it doesn't and if we can just learn to be more open and more considerate of one another period we would cover so much in that you know Mm -hmm. we'd cover so much in that that we wouldn't have to break it down to uh persons with disabilities or or persons with invisible disabilities or persons with cognitive disabilities or somebody <laughs> without like just just yeah. be considerate and open.
1: I think that would solve a lot of problems. Just being open and considerate. We can start there for advancing all forms of justice, I think.
2: <laughs> Problem Hi. solved.
0: We did it. <laughs> we did it. And Ingrid, I you know, you're on you kind of I mean answering the next kind of question that I had around like what do nonprofits need to consider? I think based on some things that you've shared, definitely, you know, that that realm of considerate, that realm of modeling, that realm of thinking consistently thinking about accessibility from an intersectional lens. I'm curious, you know, as someone who works with a number of nonprofits across the city, what do they need to consider from policy to practice engagement? Like give us three key takeaways for our listeners.
2: I think beyond just having a, the the lens, um, I, I really want nonprofits to actually put, um, you know, to have more disability helmed initiatives like that are actually led, not just that you're at the table contributing, but like the helm, the leading part is really, really important. Um, and the idea of accessibility, you know, for our community, of course, is historic. But for you know the larger society, it's still really, it's still really new to them, right? Yeah. And so that we need, and so that the more that you can have, you know, amplify and project that that leadership. Um, I just think it, it's it's so important. Like we're getting to the part where everybody knows, like, yes, you've got to be at the table too. I think the next step is like leading.
1: Yeah, setting up the table, inviting you to the table instead of me coming to your table.
2: Yeah, I mean, that it's yeah. that well, that well coming to mind, but also that you know I'm I'm at the head of the table. Yes. you know, you're coming and you're taking the (laughs) seat at the side, you know, and even if it is your table, you're still saying, you know what, here you go. I'm I'm just going to, I'm just going to sit over here and and be quiet. You go ahead. Mm -hmm. Like that, that real support and direction. um, I I think in nonprofit is, is really needed. That's the next step. They've, I I think a lot of, we got the bringing to the table. We got that. And now it's like more of that power needs to be relinquished. Like now, yeah, we got bringing you to the table. Now here's the here's the the head seat. Go ahead.
1: Yeah, and as you said, Ingrid, I think that that helps then change the power dynamics. You know, because if I get to lead at the table, then there's a shift in power there, right? That's really necessary.
2: That's it exactly because we're the, the power is still residing where it does. Like you're still picking. And, and, and making the decisions, right? So the next step really is to like, really let go of that. The thing too, is that we're all, all hardwired to recreate this power differential. And I've seen it so many times where we think we're moving forward and we just went in a whole circle with a different no. dress on or, you know, different <laughs> shoes, but we just beat the exact same path, all excited thinking, yay, we just did something different when we actually didn't. And, you know, what I say to folks is if we're gonna do something new, it's gotta feel new, it's gotta taste new, it's gotta smell mm-hmm. new. It should be unrecognizable. <laughs> and if that's it isn't, guess what? <laughs> You're doing mm-hmm. the same thing. And, and we're all, and, and not to like beat each other over the head, like we do it, we do it unconsciously, right? But when, yes. but when we catch it, and that's why we've got to have all eyes on the table. Right, because someone's gonna say, wait a second here. You know, the rest of us are all just like going along, but somebody's got to call it out and be like, whoa, wait a second. We we went around this bush three times already. We're actually not going in the direction that we thought we were. And be willing to pull it back and make that effort to go ahead again, because I've seen where people get all upset and we put so much work into this. Yeah, 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 but you know, if we're not willing to, you know, to pull it back when we need to and scrap it and start all over again, we're not going to get the outcome that we want, right? right. It's got to smell different. It's got to taste different. It's got to look different.
1: We have to be committed to a new outcome, right? A new, a different outcome.
2: You know, people say, I, I want to be held accountable. And then yeah. when they're held accountable, they're like, no, I didn't mean like that, or I didn't mean now. now. <laughs> so the commitment it's to the practice. work. The commitment, yes. The commitment to the work is not always gonna look and feel like how we thought it would. And it's gonna be irritating. And it's gonna right. be uncomfortable and annoying, but that's how you know you're on the path. When mm-hmm. when you're feeling too good and it's too easy, something's wrong.
1: <laughs> yeah. Then we're not not creating anything new, we're recreating the
2: same. Right. And so it's all about moving that power into the community, into different hands, because as long as you want to keep it in your hands and say, oh, no, I promise to do the right thing, like, like it's never going to end up being that way. And it's hard to relinquish something that you're used to having all the time. And it's scary. But, you know, those those feelings, that fear (laughs) that, you know, that that's a part of it, too. So really trying to to move that power into different hands and really taking on that allyship and support role. We throw these terms and these words around, but we've got to make them real and meaningful. And and that takes doing things differently. I'm not sure if I've just had a long one point. Or
0: <laughs> or... I think there were several points within that. Definitely several, yes. several ways that nonprofits can you know from a decent work perspective yeah can really think about policy and practice and engagement um because it is challenging to think about what does it mean to stop and and potentially scrap something that that's not working whether it's an internal hiring practice that you've been trying to put forth around making um, you know, your work practice more more accessible and in yeah. that effort, in that deep effort, you know, um, that things <laughs> things go sideways. And it's like, what, you know, that commitment means sometimes that we have to sit with those frustrations of failing um, and trying again. No, I think you definitely. To exactly, because
2: we put a lot of time and yeah. effort into it. We're thinking, are you kidding? But yeah, yeah, yeah. sometimes you got to throw it all out. Because your commitment yeah. has to be to doing it right and not just to doing something.
1: And to recognize that just because you're starting over, it's not a failure to have done that work. Because if that process led you to realize that, no, we're actually recreating a problematic structure, then, then it's a win. You've had an important learning. And now when you do start from scrap again... You're going to stay away from what you previously
2: did. Right. It's like embracing that failure and not and, 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 and embracing it as, you know, like, as you said, something good. You, you learn mm-hmm. something and it's going to inform on your work going forward. You know, so mm-hmm. you're going to make a different mistake. But that mistake yes. will also bring you further.
0: Yes. Right. It'll
2: bring you further to the point where you want where we want to get to.
1: And I think we've made this point in a few episodes now, but like make mistakes and don't be afraid to fail. It's not, um, mistakes are not failure. And, and as Ingrid said, to embrace that growth mindset. So Ingrid, thank you so much for joining us today and giving us some really key takeaways. What stands out for me is this, you know, as you were talking about your work at TNC, it's you know just taking that step it doesn't have to be perfect let's just do you know we don't have to launch once we have all the answers let's get going on the work i think that's really important and and i think something else that you said really stood out for me is and i think applies to all communities is no community is going to be a monolith not You can't expect any one community to all have the same opinions. We're all individuals within that description, you know, like however we're identifying a community, you know, there's no way that all folks with disabilities will have uh, the same perspectives on all the issues that impact their lives and what those solutions look like and to be more open to the diversity within communities and that plural you know that pluralism and embracing that so thank you so much for you know shedding a light on those points and we hope that Our listeners were taking some notes. So thank you to our listeners for tuning into this episode. We're your hosts, Kavita and Yami. We hope that you'll join us for future episodes as we keep digging into the issues that matter to the nonprofit sector. Make sure to share, rate, and subscribe so you're the first to know when new episodes are live.